Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Governor Gretchen Whitmer is set to deliver the first state of the state of her second term in office. And she has some really big plans to lay out. We're going to talk with two journalists who cover Lansing, Zach Gorchow of Gangwer and Emily Lawler of the Detroit Free Press. And then we'll hear from Ruth Johnson, a Republican former Secretary of State who now represents Michigan's 24th State Senate District. That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Detroit Today on 1019. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you decided to join us today. This evening at 7 p.m., Governor Gretchen Whitmer will deliver what will be her fifth State of the State address and the first of her second term in Lansing, which we will broadcast right here on 1019 WDET. In the speech, Governor Whitmer is expected to reveal her plans for Michigan's economy and infrastructure while also addressing how she wants to make Michigan more competitive in the labor market and protect fundamental rights here in our state. This will be her first address with Democrats holding majorities in both the state house and the Senate, which means the plan she lays out may have real teeth. They may have a real chance of becoming law as Democrats have a unique opportunity to realize the governor's agenda. But what specifically do we think she should propose or will propose? Are there any proposals that will get done in a bipartisan manner? And for those that can't, will she have buy-in from enough members of her own party to accomplish her goals? These are the things, the big questions that are kind of hanging over the state capitol today in Lansing as the governor prepares to deliver her speech and as Democrats just get started really trying to manage uh, the legislature in Lansing for the first time in almost 40 years. And that's where we begin the conversation today. We want to talk about what the governor is expected to say, the plans she is expected to lay out, and how this all fits into the narrative of democratic control, which is just off to a new start uh, in, in Lansing here in 2023. We would love to hear from you, our listeners, uh, about what you're expecting to hear from the governor uh, when she speaks today. Uh, what kinds of things do you think should be on her agenda? What kinds of things do you think are realistic goals for her to set for uh, Democrats who have control of the legislature. Uh, are there things that you would rather the governor not talk about or not put on the table uh, at this time? Things that you may think maybe uh, should be later into the year or later into the terms in which uh, Democrats will have control in Lansing. Uh, give us a sense of what you're anticipating uh, as the governor gets ready to give this speech. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you into the conversation that way. A little later in the show, we are going to be joined by State Senator Ruth Johnson, who is a Republican who represents Michigan's 24th State Senate District. Uh, she was also a former two-term Michigan Secretary of State, you may remember. But first, uh, we want to talk more specifically with some of the journalists who are getting ready to listen to the governor's speech uh, in Lansing. Zach Gorchow is the publisher and executive editor of the Gongwer News Service in Lansing. Zach, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, great to be here, Stephen. Also with us is Emily Lawler. She is the state politics and government editor at the Detroit Free Press. Emily, welcome back to Detroit hey. Today. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's start with uh, what we expect 
to hear from Governor Whitmer this evening. Uh, Zach, what, uh, what, what are you anticipating? Well, I think she has put out and her administration has put out, I think, the, the, the meat of the speech in terms of the proposals in advance, which is a, a, a time-tested you know, tactic by governors so mm-hmm. that they get kind of a, you know, a week's worth of uh, you know, publicity as opposed to one night. So I think we're going to see, for the first time in her governorship, a very policy-laden speech in terms of the proposals she would like the legislature to act on. Uh, it's not that she didn't try that in the past, but with the Republican legislature, there was uh, not a lot, you know, that was going to be a, um, uh, well, there was a lot that were non-starters that she was advocating in the past, whereas now, with, as you mentioned, with the Democratic legislature, uh, there's a, a clear runway. Uh, and so I think we're going to hear uh, proposals for things like uh, funding for law enforcement, uh, universal preschool, uh, tax relief, targeted tax relief, um, tutoring, and, and so forth. Uh, but I think overall you're going to hear the governor say something along the lines of the voters spoke and now is our, our chance to act. Mm. Uh, Emily, is that, uh, is that along the lines of what you're expecting as, as well? And, and, and try to sort of put this also in the context of what's going on in Lansing, which is uh, new for all of us, this idea of Democrats being in control of the legislature. Yeah, I think that the two biggest things is going to be um, the targeted tax relief that uh, Zach mentioned. So the earned income tax credit, or I believe they're rebranding it as the working families tax credit or something along those lines, um, is certainly up for discussion um, already by Republicans and Democrats. And then also the, um, you know, retirement tax changes that um, under Snyder's uh, governorship, they had repealed an exemption for some retirement um, income on pensions. Um, and I think there's discussion around restoring that and possibly broadening it to other ta- types of retirement income as well. So um, those are two things that I expect that Whitmer um, will will address, obviously. And also, I just sort of expect those to be the big thing um, going through Lansing in the first part of the year here, um, because they do have that sort of buy-in from Republicans and Democrats, although they have some some different ideas for how to go about them. But, you know, with these razor thin majorities, I think it might make sense to start off with a, a few things with some bipartisan support. We actually saw a state representative to get a bill passed uh, with only Democratic votes uh, yesterday had to um, come into the House uh, after his wife had just given birth that morning. Yeah. So these are really, really thin majorities to be working with. Yeah, I, I, I saw that kind of unfold uh, on social media yesterday while while they were waiting to 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 get uh, this uh, this last vote that they needed uh, to get something done. Uh, give me a sense of whether you feel like Republicans will push that early, uh, Emily, and and really force Democrats to to have everybody there in order to get the the, the votes so that they can get things done or. Is there this opportunity for for bipartisanship where you could get Republican votes for a few things? I was a little disappointed, I guess, to see so early yesterday something like uh, what what happened where you, you needed this last Democratic vote for something that that I, I don't think should have uh, required just uh, the, you know all partisan um, all partisan participation. Yeah, my sense is that Republicans are sort of uh, learning and testing a little bit what it means to be in the the type of minority they have, um, which is that, you know, they don't control any of the branches, um, but they have pretty big minorities. I know that's a bit of an oxymoron (laughs) Um, in in both chambers. So I think they're sort of flexing their muscle, trying to see how they can wield those minorities. Um, But obviously, the the majorities are just going to be a big blockade in some instances. but I wouldn't be surprised if we started out or tried to start out on a pretty bipartisan note in Lansing, just because I think that would behoove both parties, really. I think Republicans could get more of what they wanted that way, and Democrats would have to work um, you know, le- less hard to keep every single member 
um, on online on the same page um, and from having a personal life in some instances, I guess, um, to get every single vote there in person. Yeah. Uh, Zach, I want to talk about the pre-K proposal that uh, we expect to be part of the governor's speech tonight. This is an issue that we've been working on in Michigan for some time, uh, the, the the phrase "pre-K for all" is is the 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 phrase that they're using now. Uh, that's an expansion of what we have. Talk about how significant that would be, uh, but also the likelihood for bipartisan support there. The business community in, in Michigan, in particular, has really wanted uh, us to do better on this issue for a long time. Right. So the Michigan has something called the Great Start Readiness Program. It's existed, I believe, going back to the 80s, uh, but was very quite limited early on. Uh, and the key limiting factor is income. Uh, right now, uh, to be eligible for it, your household income has to be less than 250% of the federal poverty level. Um, but this, is, this has been a program that's been expanded quite a bit in the last decade, uh, there used to be a limited, much more limited number of slots available in each county, and that has uh, been boosted to the point now where there, counties aren't even filling all the available slots. Um, but there's still this been this cap that you know if you your household income is more than 250 percent of the federal poverty level, you're not eligible. And this is a program for four-year-olds, strictly, I should mention. Um, so what we, it sounds like the governor will propose is getting rid of the income limit and that this is available for any, anybody. Mm-hmm. It, putting it under uh, the, the idea of trying to lower costs for families, that you know, everybody knows, you know, certainly with a, with a child knows, the, the cost of daycare is, is quite, quite high. And uh, this would be free, um, and as opposed to the, the many thousands of dollars that, that uh, many parents are paying for daycare. Uh, so it would be quite significant. Uh, a lot will depend on how much money, additional money is put into the program. Uh, I believe the current expenditures are somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 to $450 million. Hopefully I'm not too far off, but I think I'm in the ballpark there. So you, know, you have to, one, increase the funding so that there's enough uh, agencies and staff to support this mission. Uh, and then, two, maybe as critically, you have to hope that uh, there's enough people out there to be hired uh, to provide the service, and then we, you know, there's a roughly somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 to 120,000 four-year-olds in the state of Michigan. Um, you have to get the word out, which has been a, an issue since the program was expanded. That there's a belief that not all parents who are eligible know that it exists. So it, it could be quite significant, but a lot will come down to the implementation. Yeah, yeah, uh, Emily, uh, as Zach mentioned, this is a little about money and how much is going to be put into the into the program, uh, money is is kind of swimming around in in Lansing in a way that it hasn't before, at least not in any of our recent uh, memories. Uh, talk about the, the opportunity to use that money uh, to, for things like expanded pre K, pre K for all, which which would really be uh, a change to what we're doing. Yeah, so we're we're sitting on a pile of money right now. Um, that's pretty unprecedented, uh, at least in my time covering uh, state budgets. But the state's got, um, I think, up to $9 billion still just sort of sitting unallocated um, and unspoken for. So I, I think that, you know, it looks like Whitmer's got plans to spend at least a substantial part of that money between um, the, the free pre-K um, program for four-year-olds we were just talking about. Um, and then just putting money back in people's pockets. I mean, it's not a secret that this is a tough economic time right now um, and that a lot of people are feeling pinched in ways that they didn't a year or two years or three years ago. Um, so, you know, those targeted tax cuts like the earned income tax uh, and the retirement tax uh, are certainly things that would cost the state indirectly. It's not as if we're putting money into them, but we'd be co- collecting less money. And then same with um, sort of a, a big thing that I don't expect to be addressed at State of the State, which is that there's um, a statutory uh, income tax rollback mm-hmm. that fiscal experts expect to uh, be triggered where that would take the um, state income tax from 4.25% uh, down to 4.05%, um, which would also, again, just mean less money coming into the state. 
Um, and I, I will say my colleague Paul Egan was talking to some fiscal experts who think that all of that tax relief um, is doable, the um, earned income tax credit, retirement tax, um, and the income tax rollback. Um, but, uh, you know, I, th I think that's something that the number crunchers will be trying to figure out and puts a lot of emphasis, too, on uh, Governor Whitmer's budget <laughs> address, <laughs> which is slated to happen in February. Yeah, yeah, of course, that that is always uh, close on the heels of the uh, of the state of the state address. And that's where kind of uh, brass tacks uh, gets gets done uh, in terms of what you're actually planning to do and, and spend money on. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us. I've got two great guests right now talking about Governor Gretchen Whitmer's State of the State Address, which uh, will take place today and will air at 7 p.m. right here on 1019 WDET. Uh, Zach Gorchow is the publisher and executive editor of the Gongwar News Service, and Lansing Emily Lawler is a state politics and government editor at the Detroit Free Press. Uh, we want to hear from you as well during this conversation. Give us a sense of what you anticipate in Governor Gretchen Whitmer's fifth state of the state, her first in her second term, and her first with uh, Democrats controlling both houses of the state legislature for the first time in about 40 years. Uh, what kinds of things are you anticipating from not only the speech, but also from this administration? Administration as it uh, uh, takes office for a second term with uh, with much more power than it had uh, just a few months ago. Uh, what kinds of things do you think should be high on their agenda? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we can include you that way. Uh, Nat on Twitter says, I'm personally looking forward to hearing from Whitmer on what our administration plans to do to invest in transit infrastructure. Uh, that's a subject, of course, that comes up a lot, especially here in Southeast Michigan, where we have not really been able to get our act together on transit for a really long time. Uh, Zach Gorchow, what do we know about what the governor plans to say or is not planning to say about uh, transit infrastructure in this speech? I don't expect her to talk about transit or trans transportation very much at all. Um, the governor has made it very clear, you know, yes, something needs to be done as far as a long-term road funding mechanism, but she's not going to come out with a proposal. She's going the old task force route. I, I would expect at some point in the first several months of this year, we're going to hear about the assembling of a stakeholder group uh, with the hope that somehow they can propose some sort of consensus revenue mechanism. I guess I would somewhat cynically say good luck with that. Uh, and uh, I, I, there's two subjects that at least based on what I'm hearing and expecting, I don't expect to hear a lot of attention to. And, you know, one is the transportation and transit. The other is health care. Those, those don't seem to be a major focus of the state of the state speech. But as, as, as you and Emily were discussing, you know, the budget address is coming uh, in the first half of February. And, uh, you know, th there might be some more, you know, interesting and, you know, information about those topics. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Zach Gorchow and Emily Lawler. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social media. 313-577-1019 is the number. Call and tell us what you'd like to hear from Governor Whitmer, either in the state of the state tonight or in her budget address in a few weeks. The things that you would put on her list of priorities. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag us and we'll include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDETM Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined today. Today is the day that Governor Gretchen Whitmer in Lansing will deliver her fifth State of the State address, her first of her second term. Uh, she will deliver it to a legislature that is controlled entirely 
by Democrats. They have majorities in both the state Senate and the state House for the first time in a really long time. Uh, We're talking about what she will ask them for, what she will talk about in terms of her agenda uh, for the legislature uh, as we get started in 2023. Uh, We have uh, two great guests with us. Zach Gorchow is the publisher and executive editor of the Gongwar News Service in Lansing. Emily Lawler is the state politics and government editor at the Detroit Free Press. They will be both, of course, be covering uh, Governor Whitmer's speech. In a little bit, we are going to be joined by State Senator Ruth Johnson. She's a Republican who represents Michigan's 24th State Senate District, also was a two-term Michigan Secretary of State. We're going to ask her uh, about the Michigan GOP's plan for the new term, this new role that they are assuming as a minority uh, in both the, the Senate and the House, but also uh, ask her what she anticipates in terms of Uh, the governor's speech and the opportunity to get things done uh, as we get started in 2023. Uh, We want to hear from you, the listeners, uh, as well about uh, what you're anticipating with uh, Governor Whitmer and uh, her speech. Uh, Give us a call and let us know what things you would put on her list, uh, what kinds of things you think are possible now that uh, she has uh, control or her party has control uh, of both houses of the legislature for the first time since she has been governor. 313-577-1019 is the number here. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Big Neo on Twitter says, uh, eliminate the fuel tax loophole so that all gasoline gasoline sales pay the tax. Make EVs chip in for the roads, uh, safer streets, world-class schools, regardless of zip code, steps toward universal health care for kids in Michigan, along with universal child care and pre-K. That's a big list, and uh, it's a list that I, I am somewhat familiar with at this point, given uh, the anticipation that lots of Democrats uh, or liberal uh, interests have with uh, Democrats getting control in uh, in Lansing. Emily, that that is one of the challenges, is the expectation uh, that that's pent up, I think, in the state among Democrats and and other, you know, liberal interests about uh, the opportunity to, to do things differently and maybe roll back things that Republican uh, administrations and legislatures uh, had done. But but Big Neo's list is is very large and long and and it seems as though um that might not that might not be within within grasp yeah i mean certainly there's no shortage of ideas um i think that what they have to prioritize is strategy and figuring out where they spend the political capital um earliest and where they um might sit a little bit and see see if they let things marinate and uh, sort of what they get to sort further down the road. So I, I think that, um, you know, certainly some of that list we'll hear about. We talked a little bit about um, the free pre-K kindergarten for um, all four-year-olds. I think certainly that'll be on the list. Um, as Zach said, I wouldn't expect to hear much about um, roads or health care. Um, I know I put income tax on the list of things we might not hear much about. Mm-hmm. And I would also put um, right to work on that list. That's a a really big political lift that um, the governor didn't address in her um, inauguration speech. And I'd be sort of surprised if she addresses it um, here in this this state of the state address. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's go to Frank in Livonia. Frank, what's on your mind today? Good good morning, Stephen. Um, You know, I I think especially about these, uh, you know, toll roads and, you know, our whole taxing system, you know, federal and state, but it's it's really based on these uh, behavioral type things, you know, and we're getting sharper and sharper focuses on particular people doing particular behavior. And, and the road thing that they're proposing uh, is a really good example of, you know, when we when we drive our cars, it's either to work or to go buy something, you know, I mean, and it's economic behavior. Generally, it's sport, it supports the entire economy. So the taxes, and I think I wrote a letter to Bridge Magazine about this, but um, you know, the taxes should reflect, you know, how the money is being used. And it goes out across the wider economy. And, you know, constitutionally, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, equal protection and equal access and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it just seems like our tax code is just getting further and further away from that. So I would rather see something like we just go to a general, I wouldn't even call it a tax. I would call it a transaction fee. 
It could be progressive on the by the size of the transaction. And, you know, no more subsidies, no mm. more, you know, tax credits for this, for that, for this, that, and the other thing. Huh. Uh, Frank, that's a really interesting take on, on the way we do things here. Uh, from a tax perspective uh, in, in Michigan, and it's an interesting idea to, to, to go in a different direction. Zach Gorchow, I've seen a couple things about uh, taxes in, and fees in recent weeks that, that I thought were kind of interesting. One uh, was this idea of toll roads, which comes up every once in a while here in Michigan and never seems to, to, to get very far, but there's uh, new new discussion, I guess, about whether whether toll roads would uh, would would help with with you know stabilizing uh, revenue, but then also uh, you know Frank's question about tax credits. Uh, one of the tax credits that that the governor plans to expand is the in, earned income tax credit, uh, but then you've also got you know massive tax credits going to businesses and developers, especially here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, we're about to debate this eight hundred million dollar subsidy for. Uh, the Illich's new development district. Uh, how much focus do you expect this administration might have, Zach, on the idea of changing the tax structure, changing the way that we make sure that there's enough revenue to do the things that we need to do? Well, that's a, that's a big question. Rick Snyder would be, former Governor Snyder, would be very sad to hear your caller's <laughs> comments. His that's whole right. mission was to get rid of tax credits and to make the tax code, in his words, simple, fair, and efficient. Uh, now, I, I, by the end of his administration, I think he would even acknowledge that maybe things have gone too far, and certainly the, the business community felt uh, that uh, you know his tax structure that he put in place did not give the state uh, the tools it needed to compete for large businesses. But the state now no longer is really in the business of awarding big tax credits. Uh, it does dole out cash incentives, mm -hmm. uh, one-time cash incentives, but the days of the state giving somebody uh, a large tax credit that lasts for 30 years are, are over. Now, there are still some legacy tax credits, and that might be what uh, he was referencing, that are going to take almost another decade to come off the books. I don't see tax structure reform as really being on the agenda here for this Democratic legislature. And I think a big part of the reason why is money is so flush. Mm. Usually you hear discussion about tax structure reform when times are tight and revenue is down and, you know, okay, we need to take a look at are we, you know, is the tax code fair? Or is it being applied right? Do we need to make changes? And, you know, right now, they're, they're, you know, as we've seen, there's, there's going to be probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion and a half dollars in tax cuts mm -hmm. before it's all said and done. No one's talking about raising new revenue, not when there's $9 billion just sitting around, maybe about a billion and a half to two billion of that is going to be ongoing. So, no, I don't see any push for any kind of tax structure reform. I think Democrats, I mean, if you think about the last two Democratic governors, have spent, uh, Blanchard and Granholm, spent virtually all their political capital on having to increase taxes because the state was going broke uh, in the midst of recessions. And this is a luxury Governor Whitmer and the new Democratic legislature have for now, is they don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. The state has a ton of money. Yeah. Uh, Emily, I want to talk a little more about the earned income tax credit, which, which you know, uh, Zach invoked uh, the, the the ideas and agendas of of Governor Rick Snyder, uh, who who rolled that back uh, as part of his uh, distaste for things like tax credits. Uh, this this is very high on uh, Democrats and liberals' of, uh, agenda to to re-expand it. Uh, it's it's something that uh, the governor has said she wants to do. Uh, early and it is uh, one of those things that that um, you know will return some money to, especially um, you know the, the the sort of needier uh, citizens here in the state that that Republicans took away from them. 
Yeah, so this this tax credit credit specifically targets the working poor. So um, these are low income earners, but who are um, working and, and earning income. It's just not um, maybe enough income. Um, I'm sure we all feel that way sometimes, but um, certainly, um, you know, it's a very targeted tax cut to to that group of people. Um, and the federal government does an earned income tax credit. Um, Michigan um, used to have a more generous, I think, 20% um, match, 20% of the federal credit you'd get back on your um, state returns, but um, that got cut to 6% um, during the Snyder administration. And it was sort of part of that whole rebalancing of our entire tax system that went through in 2011. So Democrats were very upset about that at the time. Um, obviously, they feel very strongly that um, that this this tax credit is is helpful to people. Uh, it's a real tax cut that people see, um, you know, that that sort of goes right back into the economy or, or tends to. So they view it as helpful in that way and also helpful on an individual level for those families. Um, so there are proposals to restore it to the original 20%. There's a proposal to actually put it at 30% um, of the, the federal one, mm -hmm. uh, which is more generous than uh, what was eliminated in 2011. But um, I, I will say that I think the energy around that has gotten a little bit more bipartisan. Um, I, I do think that, you know, in 2011, there was sort of this uh, this divide between how Democrats were looking at it and how Republicans were looking at it. Um, and I do think that there's a little bit more common ground there than we saw a decade ago. Yeah. Uh, Michael on uh, Twitter asked, he says, the state has a ton of money, but isn't that because of federal COVID money? If there's so much money, why do we have infrastructure problems? Uh, we, we talked a little bit about uh, the money that that's there, but, but uh, Zach cleared that up. For Michael, how much of the money that we have is money that is, is going to be there uh, regardless? And how much of it is this one-time money uh, that, that we've got to spend a little more carefully? Well, the last uh, the sort of state fiscal expert said uh, a couple of weeks ago is, I believe somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.5 billion out of that $9 billion uh, could be expected to carry forward into the future, whereas the rest of it is all one-time money because of all the you know COVID money that was allocated and then people spent and and so forth um, and was you know subject to various taxes. Um, you know that being said, uh, you know those you know if you've been around a while, you know that it doesn't take much of a recession, and I mean a real recession, not like the sort of technical one we we had last year where unemployment surges and, and so forth, where, you know, that billion and a half would be wiped out, you know, pretty much in the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. So no one should think that it's permanent, permanent. But as at least for the foreseeable future, it appears that it would carry forward. Um, I, I would expect that we're going to see some type of a supplemental appropriations bill this year that is laden with infrastructure funding. Um, you know, that, you know, the the governor has already been able to front load a lot of funding into state highways uh, with the bond proposals she did a couple of years ago. Um, but the, the the real problem that I think a lot of people are, are talking about is the local roads, the locally owned roads. They did not benefit from the bond issue. And uh, I, I have to think there is going to be a big push for some type of a package to get some money into the local roads uh, with this huge surplus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Jake on Twitter, and we should say it's Jake Neer, who used to be a producer here uh, <laughs> at Detroit Today and also covered uh, Lansing for uh, a, a long time. Uh, he says, it'll be interesting to see what happens with bipartisan transparency initiatives that have languished for years and years now that Dems have slim uh, majorities. Emily, I'll give you the first uh, crack at, uh, at, at responding uh, to that. That has, that has gone on for some time. I wonder if the switch in power makes some of that uh, a little better, I guess, a little more, uh, a little easier to resolve. Good question, Jake, and I, um, <laughs> I I see you're holding the torch for us because I guess that uh, is sort of 
on my list of things I don't expect to come up at the state of the state as well. (laughs) Um, um, But I wish it would. I think that's a really good discussion. Um, Well, and we should say this is a governor who promised uh, a a lot of transparency uh, or more, and we are still waiting for some of that to be to be. Yeah, and it was. It was sort of a legislative blockade that um, has always stopped this uh, transparency legislation in the past. So I do think that there's some potential that with um, Democrats in charge um, that that sort of artificial blockade will be removed. I say artificial because there was always a sense that if you put that on the floor, most people would vote for it. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it passed the House uh, by wide, wide margins and just never came up in the Senate last session. Um and, you know, the majority controls what comes up on the floor. So I do think that there's a little bit um, there's a little bit more momentum on an issue like that and a little bit more possibility that it could could come up and, um, um, you know, actually get that vote where it would be expected to pass. Um, you know, I think it's politically difficult for um, really any lawmaker to vote against um, opening their own books. Uh, certainly they can do it, but it requires a little bit of finessing <laughs> um, and explanation. <laughs> Um, but I, I, for one, would love to see Michigan um, crawl up that list of uh, most transparent states in the nation because right now I believe we're at the bottom. Yeah, we're, we're still pretty pretty bad there. Um, uh, let's quickly go to Jordan in Detroit before we have to, to break. Jordan, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Um, I was wondering, what are the governor's plans, if any, to address the housing crisis? Um, I live and work in a community that houses unhoused people who are in transition, and most of them would say that this has gotten much worse since the pandemic, and also they go all the way back to when the mental hospitals were closed under Angler. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just wondering if your guests could comment on that and what we can do to prevent more people from dying out in the cold. Yeah, uh, great question, Jordan. Uh, Zach, I'll give you first crack at that. So I don't know that we're going to hear specifics tonight, but there, I think there might be some type of broad overture. And, and probably the best way I can put it is the, um, the Democrats in the legislature now in the majority have elevated housing as an issue. Uh, and the way they did that is they, they created a special subcommittee for it in the House, and they made it part of a, of a regular committee in the Senate. So the, the, human, the human Services Committee became the human, Housing and Human Services Committee. So it appears to be front of mind uh, you know, for the Democrats in the legislature, and and the governor um, began, you know, really, uh, you know, directing her administration to do more with this last year. But what form this all takes, what policies are proposed, that's very unclear right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Zach Gorchow, Emily Lawler, uh, we look forward to your coverage of. Governor Whitmer's speech tonight, but uh, thanks so much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Great to be with thanks you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And a reminder that Governor Whitmer's State of the State address will air at 7 p.m. here on 1019 WDET. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by State Senator Ruth Johnson, who is a Republican who represents Michigan's 24th State Senate District. She was also a two-term Michigan Secretary of State. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you decided to join us. Michigan Senate Republicans find themselves in a very unfamiliar position this year, as for the first time in several decades, it's Democrats and not Republicans who hold the majority in the chamber. But even in this position, congressional Republicans have already signaled some of their priorities, including urging Democrats not to repeal a 2015 law that could automatically reduce the state's income tax rate as early as this year. But 
what do Republicans plan to do now that they're in the minority in this state and in the legislature? What are their highest priority items? Uh, what are the areas where they might agree and share power in some way with Democrats in Lansing to get some things done. That's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And we've got a great guest to help us do it. Ruth Johnson is a state senator who represents the 24th district in the state Senate. It includes portions of Oakland, Macomb, Genesee, and Lapeer counties. She is also a former two-term secretary of state here in Michigan. Senator Johnson, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's great to be here. So I want to start with uh, the state of the state, which the governor will deliver Today, uh, if you uh, had to sort of anticipate uh, a reaction, I guess, to the things that uh, the governor's going to say, what would it be? What, what do you like about what she's likely to say? What, uh, what do you maybe dislike? Sure. Well, it definitely is a new day in Lansing. I think the Senate's been held by Republicans for four decades. Yes. And, um, <laughs> uh, of all the years I've served, uh, it's the first time I'll be serving in the minority. Um, luckily, I've always had a good working relationship with both sides of the aisle. So I think there's so much we can get done. And, um, like, I've always wanted to work across the aisle just to do the right thing that um, people want and expect from us. So some of those bipartisan issues are going to be um, one near and dear to my heart is education. And I sit on the education board, and I did when I was in the House, too. And we really do struggle here. We rank 39th out of 50 states for education. And um, that's really hurt us in so many ways. And mm-hmm. the kids, too. They deserve better. So um, it's just um, we need to keep giving our students and teachers and parents the tools that they need to recover from COVID with all the shutdowns. And um, we need to focus on reading. It's so important that our kids have good reading skills. And so um, we need to first get the kids diagnosed if they have a reading disability, such as dyslexia, so that we can right away do the right interventions early, not um, later. And I know some of my Republican colleagues don't agree with me on this, but I think you um, you don't hold a student back unless you absolutely have to. And you certainly don't just because they have problem reading in third grade before you make sure that you have it diagnosed and, and uh, addressed. Um, the you need to get tutoring that supports those kids and that skill. And, and I think it really harms them socially when you separate them from their peers. Sure. And there's a stigma to it if you do that. And and if you look at it on the economic side, it costs three times more to hold a kid back when you can tutor them. So I'm looking forward to the education committee. And another one is school safety that I think we can work on largely bipartisan and um I represent Oxford now, and and um, I have represented Brandon Township since 1989. But um, unfortunately, that's where a 14-year-old shooting victim, right. Hannah St. Juliana, was from. So uh, that's the worst thing I can ever imagine as a parent myself. And in recent days, we've seen so many other examples of tragedies in our country. So that's something going on in our society. I know the governor will have some proposals in terms of background checks and safe storage of firearms, and we'll look at those. But I can tell you there's something uh, deeper going on here, and we need to get a handle on that. We've been working with the family of Tate Meyer, who, um, Tate Meyer, who was another victim of the Oxford in shooting. Oxford, yeah. And, yeah, and he, he, they started a foundation in, on, in his honor called 42 Strong which was his jersey number on the football team. So they're doing a pilot program that I'm um, really impressed with. I I think that um, they're hoping that what they come up with will be a model for schools across the state and country to identify kids who might be isolated and then match them up with peer mentors who can um, that are trained to help them. And it's just so sad that a study was found that 37% of kids in this country felt lonely persistently. That's not even including the kids who felt um, felt it sometimes or even often. And that was done in 2019, pre-COVID, which 
uh, COVID's only made things worse. So almost four in 10 kids in our country um, feel lonely and isolated all the time. It's up 97% between 2012 and 2019. And there's a lot of studies looking at the rise of social media. And um, like I said before, it's even higher today after the pandemic and everything our kids have gone through. So helping our kids is certainly bipartisan so yeah. we need to do that so so i want to talk about some specific proposals then that uh, we've got um we've got the governor put, putting forward uh what about universal pre-k um uh, is that something that you think you could support is that something that you expect other republican members of the legislature to to get behind i, I think we have to look at all the proposals Michigan cannot be ranked in the bottom of the um, United States for education. And I don't know of anything that's more important. If you don't have a a child at least be offered a good education, they really are subjected to a life of mediocrity. And I asked to be on education. My background is education and clinical social work with kids. And so um, I'm excited about the prospects of trying to make Michigan better for everybody. And and I'm going to push you here, universal pre-K. I mean, that, that's something we've been talking about for a long time. That we've expanded it. Could you get behind uh, that proposal? You know, it's in the nuts and bolts, and let's take a look at it. We have historic extra money, <laughs> and I certainly would like to have that everything looked at for how we uh, use that money in the in the way that's best for uh, education right now, among other things. But I think that's the root of everything. When you have big automotive companies with great jobs that go to Kentucky and Tennessee because our education system is mm-hmm. inadequate, you know that that not only impacts us today, but will impact us for generations to come. And it's simply not fair. And the kids really do deserve the people of Michigan, us the legislators, to make sure that they get what they need to make sure that they aren't one of the worst. We are we are one of the worst states in the nation for education, and but that just can't be. Yeah, uh, you also uh, referred to the governor's plans for uh, enhancing some of our our gun regulations. Uh, I, I know you're a Second Amendment uh, advocate and and somebody who believes in in the right to bear arms, but also somebody who's really conscientious about uh, safety. What do you think of these proposals to to make sure that guns are kept more safely in our state? Yeah, I don't deny that we have a problem, and I think we need to look at the root causes, too. And um, I think it's deeper, and we need to look at mental health. And I'm also open to looking at the governor's proposals on expanding background checks and uh, you know, criminals should not have guns. So um, we don't want to deprive people of the right to defend themselves. But I'm also open to looking at how we promote safe storage and preventing unauthorized access of firearms to uh, minors, to kids. But again, we also need to look at the root causes, and I think mental health is a really important component to it. And you mentioned loneliness. Uh, I I, I do want to give you a chance to talk about what you think the legislature can do about something like that. I don't deny that's an issue, but but I'm curious of what you think of when you talk about that. Yeah. Well, we have to do something that's not just school violence. It really is um, depression. It's suicide. It's really suffering, and we need to address it. And I, I can't come up with a quick answer to you. And um, what I look forward to is open dialogue, getting people involved in uh, the community and talking about what we need to do and how we need to do it. It's kind of like a puzzle. It has so many different pieces. You can't just stick one in. Otherwise, it will have been done someplace in America or someplace in the world already. I think it's many different parts. But um, being a clinician, I know that we've never seen such depression and we've never seen um, so much suicide. And those are things that um, we need to take care of in any way we can that we know that statistically will help our kids. Yeah. Okay. Uh, State Senator Ruth Johnson, uh, always great to talk with you. And uh, thanks so much for joining us uh, as we anticipate the governor's state of the state address. 
Yes. Thank you so much, Stephen. You have a great day and be careful driving. Yeah, you too. Okay, uh, that is going to do it for us today. Tune in tomorrow when we are going to recap the most important takeaways from this evening's State of the State address. Plus, take a look at money in politics and how it affects legislation. Uh, Also, we've got two uh, MacArthur Award winners on Friday as guests, and uh, that's going to be a really interesting conversation about the criminal justice system and the way we want to and are trying to reform it. Uh, That'll cap a really great week of shows here on Detroit Today. Uh, Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. The technical engineer and director is Matthew Trevathan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Be careful out there in the weather as we anticipate another snowstorm, only the second snowstorm, really, of the season. And remember that uh, at 7 p.m. today, uh, WDET will broadcast Governor Gretchen Whitmer's State of the State Address. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will talk again tomorrow. This is 101.9 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation.